Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 63, and today I want to talk about movies. What if a child wants to spend a lot of time watching movies? Is there any educational value in movies? And if they're watching a lot of movies, doesn't this mean they won't be doing other things? How can we encourage children to expand their interests and actually leave the screen? And perhaps we don't mind our children watching movies, but when it comes to homeschool record-keeping time, what are we going to put in our records books? Perhaps we write such things as Gemma Rose Watched Tangled or How to Train Your Dragon. Maybe that doesn't sound very impressive. Maybe the educational authorities aren't going to be happy with that kind of record. What do we do? Well, I have a few ideas that I'm going to share. While I'm discussing movies, I'm going to be sharing a lot of resources that I've stumbled across. I've also got a few family stories to tell. So I'm hoping that you will listen to this episode. Before we get on to movies, I want to talk about Gemma Rose and Jane Austen. You might know that my 12-year-old daughter really likes Jane Austen. She also likes Charles Dickens, any of those classical novels by such people as Elizabeth Gaskell, for example. I was thinking the other day about how I could take advantage of Gemma Rose's interest in Jane Austen, and I asked her if she would like me to create a Pinterest board for Jane Austen. Perhaps both of us could pin things onto the board and then she could go and explore them. So we did that. My board isn't very big at the moment, but we've been putting a few things on it here and there. And one of the things we came across was a game. It's a a strategy card game called Marrying Mr. Darcy. It looks really interesting. You can buy it as a physical card game that comes in a box, or you can download a PDF and print out all the cards at home. That second option would be better for us because we live outside the USA and postage is probably going to be a lot. I haven't bought the game yet, but it's on my wish list. I'll just read out the description of it. It says, Marrying Mr. Darcy is a strategy card game where players are one of the female characters from Jane Austen's novel, Pride and Prejudice. Players work to improve themselves and attract the attention of the available suitors. The ladies do this by attending events and improving their characters, but advantage can be gained by the use of cunning. All of their efforts are in the hopes of marrying well and becoming the most satisfied character at the end of the game. I posted a link to this game on my Facebook timeline and a few people came along and said, wow, that sounds like fun. And I think it does as well. Now, another of the Jane Austen resources we found was another novel that I hadn't even heard of. It's called Lady Susan. It wasn't published in her lifetime. It's available online as an ebook, and I downloaded a copy from Kindle And Gemma Rose read that, I think, in an afternoon. It only took her a couple of hours. A very short read. It's written in the style of letters. We watched a video about Lady Susan. This is how we came to find out about the novel. 
because we thought we knew all the Jane Austen novels, and it was quite a surprise to us to find this one that we hadn't even heard of. People have various opinions about the novel and why it was never published in her lifetime. Apparently, she carried a copy around with her wherever she went, and it was very special to her, but she never got it published. One of the opinions is that the character Lady Susan is not a very nice person. And maybe Jane Austen was advised not to associate herself with Lady Susan. If people found out that she was capable of inventing such a character, it might harm her reputation. Gemma Rose said it was a good novel, but she said it wasn't like the others, and maybe this in some part was because it was written as a series of letters. And we hope to keep on adding more things to our Pinterest board. I'm sure that there are a lot of resources out there that we haven't discovered yet. The other evening I was thinking about Shakespeare. Gemma Rose already enjoys watching Shakespeare. She has been watching Shakespeare plays on DVD with us oh, for quite a few years now. I think that's the advantage of being the youngest child in the family. She just tags along. Sometimes we think that resources are too old for our children. And maybe I wouldn't have introduced Gemma Rose to Shakespeare when she was, I don't know, five or six, if she had been one of my older children. But she sat down on the sofa with us whenever we were watching a Shakespeare DVD, and she gradually picked up on what was going on. If she got lost or didn't understand what was happening, then one of her older siblings was usually happy to explain things to her. A few years ago, we used to enjoy reading Shakespeare plays out loud. We'd all take a part, or two, or even three, if there were only a few of us, and really enjoy spending an hour or so working our way through the various scenes, and then afterwards discussing it. And once we'd finished reading a play out loud, we'd hunt for a DVD version and watch that. And then, of course, another one, a different version. Usually we made our way through three or four versions if we could find them. We used to immerse ourselves in Shakespeare. Well, we haven't done that for a while. My older girls now are very, very busy with their own things. It really is just Gemma Rose and Sophie, who's 14, and me. And I guess we could read these plays out loud, but other things keep getting in the way. But I thought, why can't Gemma Rose listen to a podcast of Shakespeare? She could get her book out, follow along. And she thought that was a good idea. But so far, I've only found a podcast called Clear Shakespeare. It's not exactly what I was looking for. I thought I might find a version read out by a, a number of people, each taking a part, like we do when we read them out loud. But what I found was Clear Shakespeare, just one person reading the play, and at the end of every few lines, he explains the words, what the action is, what the relevance of, of the action is, what the words mean, that type of thing. And I think this could be very interesting. It's not exactly what I was looking for, but I'm going to have a listen myself and keep on looking for another podcast with just the play. Now, I mentioned authors who are similar to Charles Dickens and Jane Austen in a couple of podcasts ago. Those are the words that I googled and came up with a list of authors that might 
be interesting that Gemma Rose might like to read some of their novels if she runs out of Jane Austen's and Charles Dickens. And I mentioned Wilkie Collins, who is known as the godfather of the detective novel. We have a few of his novels on our bookshelves, and Gemma Rose hunted a couple of them out. She read The Lady in White and The Law and the Lady, and enjoyed them immensely. Now, I remember reading The Lady in White many years ago, but I'd forgotten the action. I'd forgotten what exactly had happened, and I was trying to have a discussion with Gemma Rose about the novel. So I said to her, look, I'll Google The Lady in White and see what we can come up with, and perhaps we can have a discussion when I've sort of refreshed my mind about what happened. My Googling led me to a site called Shmoop, S-H-M-O-O-P. And I'd heard of this website before, but I had disregarded it. I thought of it as a schooly website. Yes, there's a lot of traditional type schooling resources on the site. But I started reading an article or two on Smoop, and I was quite impressed. So I decided that maybe there is an unschooly way of using traditional schooly resources. We can dip into them, we can ignore the things we don't like, Take advantage of the things that we do like. And so this is what we did. The other morning, Gemma Rose and I spent a couple of hours on Schmoop. We started with the articles on The Lady in White. For each novel on the site, there is a summary of the novel. Then there's a theme section. They talk about all the characters in the books. There's even some quizzes. It's all written in fairly informal language, which is Attractive in one regard, and and off-putting in another. Attractive because it's conversational, off-putting because sometimes they use language that we wouldn't use in our home, very schooly, cultural-type language. Talking about hot chicks, maybe, boyfriends and girlfriends, and we don't usually talk in that sort of language at home. But if you can ignore that, you might find the site interesting as well. So I read the description of The Lady in White. And then we read about some of the characters. Gemma Rose had her own opinion about the characters. And she enjoyed reading about the characters as well to see if the side's opinions matched up to her own. And afterwards, she discovered the quizzes and she wanted to do some of the quizzes. There's a number of them. Now, the quizzes are timed. Gemma Rose doesn't do so well with timing. She likes to think about things. So I didn't make a big thing of it. What we actually did was, I think we had a minute and a half to answer the questions. If we ran out of time, all we did was refresh the page. If we got any of the answers wrong, we just tried again. We just kept on doing the quiz until we got a perfect score. And once we had a perfect score on screen, I clipped it into my Evernote notebook as a record of doing some English. It wasn't really doing English. It was just enjoying ourselves. But of course, we need some records for our records book. So, yes, the quiz was a good way of doing that. Not that I'd make Gemma Rose do the quizzes, but she wanted to. She thought there would be a little bit of fun. There's only five questions, I think, in each quiz. Gemma Rose is now reading The Moonstone, so she's still immersed in Wilkie Collins. But while I was on Schmoop, which is rather a hard word for me to say, I noticed that they have a movie section, just like they do for the novels. They have a lot of information about each movie, the themes, the characters, quizzes again, that type of thing. 
I just flipped through it, but it gave me a few ideas. It made me think about movies and the value of them. Is there any educational value in movies? Now, one of the movies on Schmoop is The Lion King. Is that an educational movie? Well, I remember seeing The Lion King, oh, many, many years ago when it first came out. And it was the first movie I'd gone to see with my family after having a couple of babies. I think we had three little children at the time. Oh, the kids enjoyed it immensely. I just enjoyed going out with the family. I never would have thought of The Lion King as being an educational movie. Maybe we look at movies and TV shows and we judge them. We might approve of historical movies, ones that are biographical. We might like documentaries. Yes, our children are allowed to watch those. But what about the ones that we think of as pure entertainment? What about the movies like the Disney animations, the princess movies maybe? Are they just a waste of time? Or can our children learn something from them? So I think there are three issues we have with movies and TV shows. We might not value the type of movie it is. We might think that our child is spending too much time in front of the screen. Maybe they're missing out on other things. And if we do allow our children to watch a lot of TV programs and movies, we might worry that we don't have anything to put in the homeschool records books. Because, as I said in my introduction, can I just write down, Gemma Rose watched Tangled, or The Lion King. When she does watch these type of movies, I don't bother recording it at all. I've put that into the category of, yeah, pure entertainment. But I've been thinking about that. Perhaps I can make notes out of everything that she does watch. So I'm going to tell you about my ideas for record keeping in a minute. But first of all, I want to start with, can kids learn anything from movies? Well, first of all, we could watch movies with our children. We like sharing books together. Why can't we share movies as well? Now, I'm not really a good movie person. I find that when I'm watching movies, my mind usually wanders off to something else. It's a good time to have a think about what I want to write, that type of thing. But if I train my mind to watch and take note of what's going on on screen, afterwards I can discuss that movie with my children. Sometimes I don't need to invite them to discuss it. Usually they've got lots of ideas that they want to tell me about, things they want to share. Did I like this bit? What did I think about that? They might even be quoting bits of it. My girls have watched the Disney animation Beauty and the Beast a million times. I'm sure they could quote it all. And sometimes they do quote things out of the movie in particular situations. Those quotes are very useful. Like Shakespeare, they know a lot of Shakespearean quotes as well. And they come out with them at odd moments because the quotes express something that's happening around them. Their thoughts, their feelings, an event that is going on. Yes, so Disney has provided a lot of quotes as well. I don't know if that's useful. It certainly is good for their memory. I was talking about this subject with my older girls, and they told me that they pick up a lot of facts from movies. Sometimes a movie leads to other ideas. Now, Tangled is a retold fairy tale. 
when my girls were in their tangled phase watching it over and over again, it inspired them to think about writing their own retold fairy tales. It also inspired them to get out the fairy tale book and read the original story. My daughter Charlotte is very interested in animation. She's actually doing a university course, a Bachelor of Arts in Digital Design, which involves animation. What she'd really like to do when she finishes that is design computer games, do all the artwork and the animation. And I think that interest came from watching Disney animated movies. One of the units she's working on at the moment talks about the history of animation. And so she's been telling me all about the early Disney movies, movies like Snow White, how they made them, and what are the differences these days. She's doing animation of her own, not just from the university course. She's been animating for quite a few years now. She works with programs online such as Blender and Unreal Engine. So watching movies such as Disney movies might inspire some other interests. Children might want to go out and make their own movies. My eldest son Duncan used to make one-man movies years ago. I had a camcorder, he used to borrow it and disappear off down into the bush or into a paddock somewhere, take a few props, make his own movies. Sometimes movies have a book version, and watching the movie has inspired my children to go and pick up the book. This has happened with Charles Dickens's books. We bought the BBC miniseries Little Dorrit and Bleak House, and once Gemma Rose had watched them, she wanted to read the books, and she's read both those novels. The same thing happened with the miniseries North and South that inspired Gemma Rose to read the novel North and South by Elizabeth Gaskell. Sometimes there is more than one version of a movie. People come along and redo the movie, make it again, update it. They have their own ideas about it. We've got lots of different versions of the Shakespeare plays, for example, but there's a few versions of Little Women on our shelves. We have a couple of versions of Sense and Sensibility, Great Expectations, that type of thing. And whenever we watch the different versions, it always leads to some good discussion about how they chose the setting, the characters, the costumes, the actors who play the parts. Every retelling is slightly different. I guess we're getting into film studies. My son Duncan did some film studies for his degree. He did a Bachelor of Arts degree and he studied literature, film studies, communications. They had to watch a great variety of movies in that course. I've just thought of something else that is associated with movies, especially Disney ones, and that is music. My girls love playing the music from Disney movies, singing along. Imogen, when she's giving Gemma Rose and Sophie singing lessons, often chooses a Disney piece. A lot of online musicians like Peter Hollands record Disney music as well. They do their own cover versions. It's very popular music. So I think we could say that children do learn a lot from watching movies. But what if we want them to get away from their screens? We don't like them sitting there all day on the sofa watching, even if they then sit a bit longer and discuss things with us. Can we tempt our children away from the screen by strewing things to do with the movie? I've already talked about books. Perhaps find the books, if there are any, of the movies. 
and then there's the music perhaps we can find the sheet music or an audio recording sing along perhaps a movie is associated with a particular time in history we could find some books some activities to do with that time period would our children like to make their own movies i've talked about that there's a wonderful piece of software to do with wallace and gromit kids can make their own wallace and gromit type animations using it what about movies such as lord of the rings would that spark an interest in New Zealand, for example? If we watched a biographical movie such as Miss Austen Regrets or Miss Potter, perhaps we could go and look for some other information about those authors. I always feel like doing that once I've watched a movie. I want to find out, are the movies true to life? Did they get all the facts right? And I want to go and find out more. Well, perhaps our children would like to find out more too if we find the right resources. I've already talked about fairy tales. Is a movie a retold fairy tale? Should we find a book of fairy tales to offer our children? For example, we could read Rapunzel after watching Tangled. And also I think there's a story about Saint Barbara which goes with Tangled as well. I don't think the idea is to take over and make our children do lots and lots of different activities associated with movies. We don't want to make it into a unit study. But perhaps they're naturally interested in the topic and would like to find out more. But what if we watch a movie and we can't think of anything that we could offer our children? What are the possible things that we could strew? Well, the other day I found a website called Film Education Website. And it lists a lot of movies on it, and it had some study guides. I read a few of the study guides, just kept clicking here and there. Now, I wouldn't use the study guide with my children after watching a movie. I wouldn't say, look, it's time now to do a study on Tangled, and these are the questions, and you've got to go out and research it, and we're going to put together a little booklet about it. Because I think that would take all the fun of watching the movie away. But I don't think there's anything wrong in having a read of the study guide ourselves, just so we got some ideas. So I read the study guide for Finding Nemo, and there were a lot of resources for the Great Barrier Reef. And I thought, of course, while kids are watching Finding Nemo, they're also learning about the Great Barrier Reef. Perhaps we can find some nature videos about the Great Barrier Reef. Perhaps we can go to the aquarium and look at the sharks, go to the pet shop and look at all the different types of fish. It's a starting point. We might It might give us some ideas, and our children might be naturally interested because they like the movie and they want to find out more. So I want to talk about record-keeping now. Our children are watching lots of movies. What we've got to do now is find the right educational language, transform those movies into some homeschool records. Of course, I'm not good at this because I haven't done it, but I've got some ideas to share. I've been thinking about this and wondering if I could make a few notes myself. So this is what I've come up with. What are the themes in the movies? I've been thinking this after reading online about the classic novels with Gemma Rose. When we were reading all those articles on Schmoop, I started clipping them into our Evernote notebooks. That's one way of getting notes from a novel. The same thing could be done with the film version. As I said, I clipped all the quizzes into my notebook. There's quizzes for the movies on Schmoop as well. 
Everything we discussed, everything we read, I clipped into my Evernote notebook. But what if we're not sure what the theme of the movie is? Well, I think that if we talk to our kids, and we're asking them about it, and they're telling us what they've thought about the movie, discussion often reveals the answers. And then we can note them down in our records book. But what if they're telling us stuff and we think, well, that's not very educational. That's not going to impress the educational authorities whatsoever. Well, we could go back to those study guides that I was talking about on sites such as Film Education website. Perhaps we could clip the themes from those study guides or from Schmoop. Sometimes we can pick up really interesting facts from these study guides. Now, I never thought of The Lion King being a Hamlet story, for example. That provided some good discussion in our family. And if we can't find anything about a movie on such sites as Film Education website or Schmoop, perhaps we can just Google the movie, the themes in Tangled, for example. There's a lot of people online talking about movies, and we can sift through what they're saying and find some notes so that we can put them in our records books. Maybe you already see the themes. You can already see how educational movies are. But just in case you can't, and I hadn't even thought about it before, there's just a few ideas. Looking at my next podcast note, I can see that I've written Strewing for Gemma Rose. I think I probably call this podcast Strewing for Gemma Rose. It's all about her today. Now, I've looked for a lot of resources recently for Gemma Rose. But yesterday, I had another idea. Instead of going to my computer, putting things on a Pinterest board, looking for websites, I looked around the house. I haven't looked around our house for a long time. Maybe I've been spending too much time online. I haven't seen all the wonderful things that we've got on our bookshelves and in our cupboards. Things that we've invested in over the years. Some of the things we haven't used since my older children were Gemma Rose's age. So I got a basket and I invited Gemma Rose to come around the house with me and we looked at books. We looked at DVDs. We looked at games. I said to her, if you find anything that you think that might interest you, pop it in the basket. After 20 minutes or so, we had a basket full of things. Things that might tempt her. The next time she's thinking, what shall I do today? Because she says that a lot. What are we going to do today, Mum? And I say, what would you like to do, Gemma Rose? And just looking for some suggestions. Maybe she can look inside her basket, see the things that we picked out, see whether any of them appeal to her on the day. There's a couple of books about Shakespeare. We found a couple of books about the Narnia series. Some DVDs, a book of experiments, a building kit, various things I'd forgotten about. And Gemma Rose had never actually noticed these things lying on our shelves. I think sometimes we can get overwhelmed by the amount of resources that are around us. We don't see things. Or maybe we see something and we think, wow, that looks good, and then next to it is something else, and we go from one thing to another. I do this all the time online. I think, wow, my girls would love to do this, and they'd love to do that. There's too many things. They can't do everything. So maybe just getting a basket of resources that we can see and putting them in the family room where we like to congregate, we limit the amount of things in the basket. Maybe we can focus better, simplify things a little, instead of hopping from one thing to another and not actually getting involved with any of them properly. I wrote a blog post about strewing this way once before. 
It's called something like how to plan the next term's work in half an hour. I wrote it one school holidays when my husband, Andy, who was a school teacher, was planning the next term's work for his students. He was spending hours and hours and hours writing up plans. I just grabbed a basket and I walked around the house and found a book here and a book there, a DVD. I labelled it in my head as this is English, this is maths, this is science. Within half an hour, I had a basket full, things I was going to strew in front of my children during the next few weeks. Of course, I said in the blog post that if my children didn't like any of the resources in the basket, that was quite all right. They didn't have to use any of them. We've been talking about joy, finding joy in the everyday, doing little things with our kids, things that don't take a lot of time or a lot of money, but bring a lot of pleasure to our family life. Do your children ever make you a cup of tea and then they get a plate and they might put a couple of biscuits on it. They might even go outside and find a flower, put it all on a tray and then they present it to you with a big smile and you feel absolutely wonderful. Your child has done something special for you and obviously it has given them a lot of pleasure as well. My children do that a lot. Now one day I decided that I would do that for them. They were all busy in their bedrooms working on various things. And it was about three o'clock in the afternoon, time maybe for a cup of coffee. So I got some mugs out. I made the coffee, made tea. I got some plates. I found some biscuits. I went looking for some chocolate as well. And I found some flowers as well. I went out to the garden, snipped a few flowers. I put everything on trays and carried it to my girls' bedrooms. They were absolutely delighted. I think I made them feel very, very special. And sometimes I think it is lovely to do special things for our children, things that, that they might do for us, but do it for them instead. It brings a lot of joy. That's just one thing that I've been thinking about, looking for opportunities to do special things for our children. <laughs> might have noticed that if you subscribe to my podcast via iTunes, that all the episodes in my archives, all 62 of them, there'll be 63 of them by the time you listen to this, they are now all available via iTunes. Before, only 20 episodes, the last 20 episodes in the feed were available. When I, once I realized this, I went and changed my Podbean settings and all of the episodes then entered the feed, except there was a problem. I subscribed to my own podcast so that I could keep an eye on the feed, how long it takes for the episodes to come through the feed, that type of thing, just to make sure that things are working properly. And I noticed about a week ago that my feed was saying no episodes in this feed, and none of the 62 episodes were showing up on my iPod. And I wondered about this, what was the problem? So I did some Googling and discovered that I probably had a problem with my feed that was coming from Podbean did a lot more googling and I managed actually to solve the problem. I felt really clever once I'd done it. Sophie had a look at it for me for a few minutes and she said, Mom, I'll sort it out for you if you like, if you give me your computer. And I was tempted to do this, but I decided that I'd give it a go myself. And I did. I sorted out the problem. So maybe you are wondering what was up with the feed. Well, it's all fixed now and now you can access all 63 of my Stories of an Unschooling Family podcast episodes. 
once all the episodes reappeared, I discovered something very interesting. People are starting to listen to some of my earlier podcasts. The most popular podcast at the moment is one called Boy Stories. I don't think Boy Stories was that popular when I first published it, but for some reason people have started listening to it. Maybe they wonder about my boys because I usually talk about my four youngest girls. And another podcast which is popular is Being Honest, Mistakes and Perfection. I talked about this podcast maybe two or three episodes ago, so maybe that's the reason people have gone back to that one, episode 21 I think it was. I said in that podcast that I wasn't brave enough to go back and listen to any of my earlier podcasts. What would they think if I listened to them? They were probably full of mistakes. My presentation wasn't very good, I'm sure. And what did I actually say? But I did go back the other night and listen to that one about being honest. Yeah, technically it's not the best. I think I've improved my presentation since I made that one. It's an interesting experience listening to yourself retell stories. And the stories I told in that podcast were about my failures, about when I was a dragon mother. I told some stories about some difficult days I had. Yes, I was being honest and telling people about my mistakes. I did a bit of cringing while I was listening. Why did I tell people those stories? Why didn't I just keep them to myself? Why didn't I try and project a perfect image? As I said in that podcast, we can't do that if we want to make real connections with people. If we want to share understanding and share ideas, encourage each other along, then it's worth being honest. Now last week I was talking to my 21-year-old daughter Imogen about her dream of becoming a successful online musician. She has started a YouTube channel. She's making some music videos with her younger sister's help. And we talked about whether she would look back in a few months, a few years, at her early music videos. Would she see the mistakes in them? Would she be dissatisfied with them? Now she said that what she's producing at the moment, she's very satisfied with. She is working to the best of her ability. But yes, as she learns, she'll probably look back in the future and think, wow, I made a mistake here, I made a mistake there, I could have done this better or that better. And she said that it's quite alright to do that, that when you look back, you can see how far you've come. You can see all the things that you have learnt. So it doesn't matter if you make mistakes. It's the trying that counts. Making a start and then working on something. So when I look back at my mothering mistakes and I want to cringe about them, Instead of cringing, what I should do is be grateful that I have learnt something and that I have moved on from those times. Because if I could tell those stories and not cringe about them, I probably would still be there. I wouldn't have moved on. I wouldn't have learnt anything. I'm still learning. Far from perfect. I know that I'm going to look back in another year or so and I'm going to cringe again. Because I'm sure I'm still making mistakes. I've got a lot of mistakes ahead of me. But yes, I'm going in the right direction. I'm still learning. And I think that's encouraging to think that, yes, we make mistakes, but we're working on them as long as we don't give up, as long as we keep heading in the right direction. So I'm going to end my podcast there. I hope you found some of what I have had to say interesting. It's always their fear, I think, that people might say, well, look, she was interesting a few months ago. She's really gone off track. 
I no longer find her podcast interesting. I'm not going to listen anymore. There's a bit of pressure to keep on producing podcasts that people would like to listen to. I will put all the links to the resources that I mentioned today in the program notes. Put them on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. As you know, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes. You could just follow it along on my blog if you wanted to. On my homepage, I have a podcast player with all the episodes in it. Or you can follow it along on Podbean. I'd love to share photos with you on Instagram if you're there. There's my Pinterest boards where I put all my resources. And I share things on my Facebook timeline as well. So I hope you'll join me on some of those places. If you do find my podcast helpful, it would be wonderful if you could share my links. Spread the word about unschooling. Now I've been podcasting maybe a year and a half. And I noticed on iTunes that I don't have a single review. Now this could be good because of course people could write a negative review and probably that wouldn't be a good idea for me. But maybe a few reviews would help to spread the word about unschooling. So if you have the time to write a few words about my podcast, I would appreciate it. So I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. I hope everybody has a good week. And until next week, trust, respect and love unconditionally. Thank you.